in Christian theology, there are a bunch of really clunky, but yet significantly meaningful words that get thrown around that we just don't really use in our day-to-day language. Humor me, for example. There's regeneration, sanctification, glorification, transubstantiation, justification, and all other kinds of Asians. But let's just take for a moment justification, for example. This is a word that packs a lot of meaning. But it really is not a word that we use in our day-to-day speech. I mean, when was the last time that you used this word? Was this used in your speech? And anyone who is going to seminary or at Gordon College in theology classes, they don't count. Yeah, I didn't think so. So, but the Bible says that justification is kind of a big deal. It's it's a, a term and it's a concept that is very important throughout the Old as well as the New Testament. In fact, uh, it gets two major treatments by the Apostle Paul in two separate letters, one of which is literally about 11 chapters long, <coughs> Romans. And Romans is a pretty hefty letter for that reason. Some people, for this reason, have actually even come to conclude that justification is really likely the center of Paul's theology, his whole thought process. But here's the problem. I say the word justification, and it comes out of my mouth, and it goes out there across the room, and it falls on some ears out there, and means absolutely nothing. I might as well have just said something like, slupification. And it could have just been just as well for you. And I understand that. But this word justification does actually occur here and there in our speech. I mean, for example, someone might uh, say to you in a conversation, well, hey, what's your justification for that? And and by that they mean, uh, give me a good reason to believe the claim that you're trying to make. And so usually it kind of gives this connotation that the person is doubtful that what you're saying has a justification. So it's usually used in a negative light. Even take, for example, the word justify, the root word there. Also, it doesn't get thrown around. Maybe it gets thrown around a little bit more. But I think this is usually how we think about it. Maybe uh, a woman comes in late to her work meeting and she uh, she says to everyone, oh, I'm so sorry, traffic was so hectic. And someone thinks in their head, she's lying. She's just trying to justify herself. Again, it's a skeptical approach. It's a skeptical view that no one really has a justification. This person isn't justified. We're we're just trying to justify ourselves. So it seems to me like in order for us to hear something that the Bible presents as Uh, This big concept, it spans the Old and New Testament. It gets major treatments. Paul thinks it's so great, he spends 11 chapters on it. Maybe we need to reframe our focus on it a little bit for this morning. So what does justification and justify mean? You see, justification is simply this. It's 
It's the declaration that someone is in the right. Justification is the declaration that someone is in the right. Similarly, justify is to declare that someone is in the right. You see, the Bible says that when we put our faith in Christ, we are justified, that we have received justification. So justification is about God declaring us to be in the right, in His eyes. But the question is, how exactly does that work? And what difference does it make? Where does Jesus fall into this? Well, that's what we'll unpack this morning. You see, we've been going through this series, The Good News. And the good news uh, that we've been trying to focus on is not just to simply say, good news, Jesus, this and that, but it's to say, this is good and newsworthy. So we have simply put it this way, the gospel or the good news is about an event. It's about a person. It's about the event that um, the good and true account that God in the person of Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead. You believe that's good news? That's great. But exactly how does that, how, how does that affect us? What, what's the mechanism? How, how does, this is about Jesus. How, how does that affect me? You see, in order for something to be newsworthy, well, then it, it has to be relevant to the listener. Otherwise, it's really not news to you. Okay, well, that's about Jesus, but how is it news to you? How is it newsworthy? In order for it to be good, it actually has to benefit the listener. How is it good for you? How is this good news? I'm glad that we have a lot of people here that already believe that this is the good news. So our question isn't so much, what is the good news? That's it. Our question is more, why is this good news? And so we're going to be taking a look at that today. So if you could turn in your uh, Black Pew Bible uh, to Romans. We're going to be taking a look at Paul's treatment of justification, that we have been declared in the right. And Romans is a book that is about the gospel. Paul states this uh, right up front in chapter 1. So if you turn with me to chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I, I actually don't have the page number. 9-11. Thank you. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 just through verse 4 to start. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gospel message. It's exactly what we just said, that the gospel message is about Jesus himself. Did you catch it? It's a little bit of a mouthful. So it says that it's the gospel, it's regarding God's Son, He's a descendant of David, his resurrection from the dead. If 
if this seems like, all right, are, are those really the things to highlight? We could turn over to 2 Timothy 2.8. You don't need to. It's right here. It says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. This is my gospel. It's basically a way of saying that Jesus is the climax of God's story, so he's a descendant of David, and that he's raised from the dead, which we will find actually means that he was found to be in the right, that he was declared right by God, vindicated to life. If we move a little forward, we find the gospel is still going to play a major role in Romans. In, uh, starting in verse 16 of chapter 1, he moves on to say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus, descendant of David, raised from the dead. I'm not ashamed of Jesus because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the event, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the good news. This is what Paul wants to unpack about the gospel, that the righteousness of God has been revealed. That righteousness of God is the righteous declaration that he's going to put on someone, the finding in the right. So, why is this good news again? Paul, where are you going? If, if you're scratching your head saying, like, I, I think I believe this, but I, I'm not so sure why this is relevant yet. Well, then I actually think that Paul has you right where he wants you. I think he, he wants to tease you. He wants to bring you in and, and start asking questions and maybe taking a guess at where he might be going. Why is this? Because the thing is, if 1.17 says, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, it's not going to be for another two full chapters that he is going to come back to this topic. But now, apart from the law, uh, apart from the, law the righteousness of God has been made known. It's a restatement of verse 17, two chapters later in chapter 3, verse 21. That's our goal for this morning. Our goal is to get to that final, but now. But even as soon as you hear the word but, you know that something else must have come before. And the thing is, what comes before is two long chapters that detail out bad news. And so we're just going to read through... No, I'm just kidding. We're not... Uh, we're not going to read through it all, but we, we have to take a look at this in order to understand why that good news declaration that you are in the right in God's eyes is in fact good news. We have to appreciate what was the predicament? What was the problem? What was the bad news? You see, going back to chapter 1, verse 17, so it says, in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. The very next verse opens by saying, the wrath of God is being revealed. Uh-oh. Is it going to be one of those fire and brimstone messages? Maybe. I don't know. I do know. But <laughs> it won't. 
But we have to take a look at wrath in the face. We have to take a look at what the bad news truly is. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, taking a look at the situation um, that, that we are, or were in, I should say. So what's the bad news? So I'm going to be reading uh, from chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18. And then I'm going to skip down to verses 28 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their, power, uh, by their wickedness. Moving down to verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's bad news. And I could spend a whole lot of time going through each and one of those words. But I think over the past few weeks, we've actually we've heard the bad news. We, we know the bad news well. We know that something is wrong out there but we also know that the, the, the dividing line between right and wrong is not between us and them. It runs straight down here. We know and can identify some of these qualities, some of these actions, some of these thoughts. What does this mean? It gets worse. Um, so if we continue in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The bad news is judgment and wrath are coming. This is a hard message to swallow. 
This is hard, bad news for the world to swallow. We hear it on the street corners, uh, maybe perhaps in a really populated place like in Boston, or you go down to D.C., you go to Times Square, and you see people with picket signs and uh, a bullhorn, and they're shouting uh, that God is going to judge the world, but you can have peace with God, and, and it's a scary message. And this is, this is what a lot of our culture hears, Christian saying, and while I believe there's a grain of truth in this, I think this bullhorn is just a little too loud. And I think what we need to do this morning is maybe just turn the speaker down a bit so we can hear more clearly what judgment and wrath actually are, because I am convinced that judgment and wrath may not be as bad news as we thought it would be. I do believe there's a bad news message here, but I think we need to clarify what judgment and wrath are. So I want to first take a look at judgment. So we think that judgment is this scary thing, that God is an angry and capricious God, that he, he has been hurt, he has been wronged, and so he is going to be spiteful, he's going to be vengeful, he's going to come back against you for everything that you've done. He's going to lay down the gavel. He's going to set things, the, uh, set you straight, but ultimately by condemning you. That's often the view of judgment. Even just when we hear that word, God's judgment, oh my gosh, the day of God's wrath. But here's what judgment actually is. In the first century, a city would be set up and there would be a gate uh, to, the, to the city. So it would be a walled city and a gate with the opening. And the gate often opened up to the east so the sun would come in. And it was actually in the gate that a lot of transactions happened and that a lot of court cases happened. And the idea was light is coming in. It's in a public space. Everyone can see what is going on. There can't be anyone who's going to twist the truth because people are watching. There's accountability. This is where true justice is going to happen. And so if you had a dispute, uh, you know, perhaps you were a widow or you were, um, or you, you, you were uh, uh, a foreigner li- living in the city, but you were being bullied and beaten, and you just longed for the day that when the judge would come and you, he would hear your case and he would say, you are in the right. This person's in the wrong and we'll have to make reparations. That is judgment. It is Good judgment. And that's actually the kind of judgment that the Bible pictures uh, God having. Have you ever wondered, why is it that uh, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people? The Bible actually talks about that a lot. Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about why is it that the good perish but the bad go on? Well, the Jews had this concept, which we have inherited as Christians, that there's the present evil age in which God does happen to allow us to sin, to hurt each other. But, but why? If God just came and brought his judgment, we'd be obliterated. We'd be annihilated. We wouldn't have any hope. You remember back in the passage, it actually said... Um, that his patience is meant to bring you to repentance. God is being patient with us. 
And so they, they had this concept, we have this concept, that the age to come, that is when God will set the score straight, when final justice will happen, when he will find those who were wronged in the right, and when he will find those who were doing the wronging in the wrong, and no one will be able to argue that this was the right judgment. It was a good judgment. To prove that this was viewed as a good thing, take a look at Psalm 96, verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. God's going to set the world right. That is good news. So why is this bad news? Well, let's turn to wrath, perhaps. Okay, wrath has got to be bad news, right? I mean, like, just the sound of it. Doesn't it just create a picture of, like, fiery smoke billowing from the Lord's nostrils because he just, he can't even control how angry he is because something has just really ticked him off and he's just going to spew out volcanic fire I think that is our common perception of wrath, that it's this uncontrollable uh, quality of God or, or an action that he does. But what, what if it's actually something else? I want you to take, it this, uh, take a look at this other psalm with me. Look at Psalm 59, again, verses 11 through 13. It's David who is praying the psalm, and he's praying about the enemies uh, that are oppressing the people, they're bullying the people, they're battering around, they got Israel in oppression. And so God, he's praying to God uh, that he would liberate Israel and that he would set the captive free and all that. And then he says, uh, concerning his enemies, but do not kill them. That's actually like kind of an interesting to say. Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. He knows that if God just kills them, then then Israel might think, oh, now we're on top. Now we are the people. Now, now maybe we can do the bullying and the battering. We can put them in their place. David doesn't want that. Do not kill them, or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. Overturn the power structures. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies that they utter, consume them in your wrath. Consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob, that he's liberated them. Okay, so we have to keep in conjunction here. Do not kill them. Consume them in your wrath. We want to maybe think, okay, well, maybe he's just changing his mind. Maybe he's now saying, no, 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 consume them in your wrath. Definitely just get them out of here, purge them, you know. But look at that second line there, right in verse 11. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. Take them out of their position. Again, overturn the power structures. Set the world right. It seems to me that wrath is actually God's quality or action to... uh, He is... Anything that wrongfully defaces His creation or His good purposes or His people, His covenant... Wrath is his proper reaction 
to something that has taken something that is good and spat in its face. It's a good thing that God exhibits wrath. It needs to happen. The world needs to be set right. So again, I say, judgment and wrath are coming. Is this really bad news? Well, this is what the bad news actually means. We have angst with God because here's the problem. We are not the ones that deserve to be found in the right. We are the ones in the wrong. We are the bullies. Don't you remember what we just read through? The anger, the malice, the strife, the the evil intent. They invent ways of doing evil. We're the ones who do wrong. And and don't you remember in chapter 2, he moved on and said that you, you that pass judgment on others, don't you realize you do the same thing? And God has to rectify that. He has to rectify that. He has to set that right. Imagine that you were in one of these towns and you knew you were bullying someone or you knew that you were cheating at at the workplace or you, you were doing something in the wrong. And you knew the judge was coming one day and there was going to be a case and it was going to be true. If you just anticipated that, I believe that would mean angst. I mean, uh, imagine, imagine a child, uh, maybe a middle schooler, uh, who's kind of trying to get along with uh, a, a friend group, but that friend group is really bullying this, this other kid who's different than them. And so that, that kid eggs him on and, and gets into it and, and is part of the bullying. What happens when they get caught? And they know that they are going to be sent to the principal's office by the end of the day. Or they know that a phone call has been sent home to their parents. Judgment is coming. That's angst for the child. That's anxiousness, fear. Or maybe in your workplace, maybe... Maybe you were trying to cut a corner or maybe you were wasting time and you were looking up YouTube videos or something and you just you didn't want to be found out and, and you knew, if only they knew what I was up to. If only they knew what I was wasting my time doing. Then I'd have to deal with the consequences. I, that's anxiety. That's anxiousness. You see, I'm convinced that a lot of us live with angst with God. That we, we have this sense that there's this judgment and wrath that's going to come and we just believe we've disappointed Him. We believe that we've wronged Him. We believe that we've, uh, we've really spat in His face. Maybe there's a, a habit that, that you have. You just feel like you can't knock and God is angry at me. He's disappointed with me. He's not going to be merciful forever. He's going to bring down the gavel eventually. Judgment and wrath are coming. Angst with God. I'm not going to lie. I've been there. It's a terrible place to be. And it's a place of hopelessness. 
So where's the good news? Where's the good news? Because I remember that the good news is the gospel event, the true account that God in the person of Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead. How is that good news? How does that change my life? It's time to turn to Romans 3. It's time to turn to Romans 3.21. It's time to hear the but now statement. Because when we hear it, we find that the good news means that judgment and wrath have come. Look in uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all who have sinned have fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified, declared in the right, freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's His patience. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The judgment has come. That future event has been snuck into the present in the single person, Jesus. What, what we all were going to experience at the end happened in the middle of time to Jesus on our account. And so, look at what it says. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Not only was God patient with us, but He even dealt with the sin problem. He dealt with the ungodliness in Jesus Himself. And so what does this then mean for us? How does it affect us? Why is it good news for us? We receive it by faith in Him. Have you ever wondered, why is it faith? The thing is, there's a representative figure here. Jesus is a representative figure for all of us. If he has been faithful to deal with the sin problem, then when we put our faith in him, then what's true of him is true of us. I'll kind of tease that out a little bit more with with a few verses, but just kind of hold on to that. What is true of Jesus is true of us. He was faithful, so when we put our faith in him, then we can be declared in the right by God. The righteousness of God has been made known. He did this. He, he put Jesus forward as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just. He was just. He dealt with the sin problem. And He justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so, let's tease out some of those mechanics. How exactly does this work? Perhaps you've thought about this. Even, even it, This kind of goes back to that question like, okay, I know the good news is Jesus and everything concerning him, his life, his death, his resurrection, but how does that 
change anything about me? Where's the connection? That was 2,000 years ago. Well, let's take a look a, a little bit ahead. In Romans 8, looking at verse 1 and verse 3, he says, Paul says, therefore there is now no condemnation. That is basically a synonym of justification. Found in the right. Not condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's restating what he's already argued a few chapters earlier. But then he says this, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned Jesus. No, that's not what it says. He condemned sin. Don't mistake it. Jesus didn't get condemned. Sin got condemned. Jesus got vindicated. Sin got condemned. Our sin in the flesh of Jesus got condemned. Jesus was vindicated. Paul says it uh, in another way. In, uh, at the end of chapter 4 and verse 25, he kind of again kind of repeats what he's kind of argued. Jesus, he was delivered over to death for our sins. So his crucifixion is the place where our sin got dealt with, but he was raised to life for our justification. Again, why is this? Remember the age to come, that idea that, okay, we live in the present evil age, where is God's justice? I see people who are doing wrong living longer. I see people who are good dying young. Why is that? Well, God is going to set the record straight in the age to come, in the world to come, when he will raise the dead and he will say, if you've been raised from the dead, then you have been found in the right. You are right in my eyes. That's what happened to Jesus. Jesus was right in God's eyes. Sin was not. It got dealt with. But Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. Again, what's true of him is true of us. If he's been justified, then we will be justified. We will be raised from the dead. So what does the good news mean? This is, this is kind of a lot to hold together. The good news means this. The righteous God declares us right when we put our faith in a faithful Christ. Again, the righteous God declares us right when we put our faith in a faithful Christ. That is justification in a single sentence. That God himself is righteous. He, he has to be just. He has to set the world right. He has to set the record straight. How do we then get declared right? Well, he declares us right when we put our faith in a faithful Christ because he was declared right. What's true of him is true of us. Okay, Dave, that's pretty awesome, but what am I going to walk away with today? How am I going to go back to work and I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be thinking through this. Remember that anxiety with God? That we feel angst before Him? Sometimes we feel like He's mad at us. That He just wants to bring the gavel down on us. That we're the ones who do deserve judgment. And that just produces anxiety and fear. Well, the good news really means this. It's from Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we have peace with God because we've been declared in the right. The real good news of justification is that you don't have anxiety with God anymore. You don't have to fear Him. He knows that we're human. He knows that we struggle with sin. That's why He gave us a prayer that we would go on praying. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. We need that prayer. He knows that. But if, if, if you have been declared right by God, if He has given you His Spirit, then you're experiencing transformation. Even as I, I look out, I, I know some of your stories. I, I know my own story. I know I still sin, but I know I'm different. I don't need to be anxious with God. I know I'm going to struggle, but I don't need to fear. He came to me. The pure and holy God came to me and sought peace and made it happen. We have peace with God. This is good news. So what's our response? The good news, how how can we respond to this? Well, I think, first off, we respond to it, it's right out of the passage. Put your faith in Christ. Some of you out there may not have actually made that commitment. Maybe some of you out there think you've made that commitment, but even sitting here, you feel anxiety with God. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe we ought to just take a moment here, which we'll do, and, and we'll, we'll lay ourselves at His feet, recognize You're the one who's done it. You're the one who's dealt with my sin issue. You know who I am. You know my issues. You know the things that I I still uh, go after. But I put my faith in you. When we put our faith in Christ and we're declared in the right, then we can approach God boldly. We can come to Him without any fear, without any anxiety. This takes, I think, maybe two things. One is a little bit of self-talk in some of those moments. That in moments of prayer, declare before God, not because you're taking ownership, but because He has done it. Declare before God, I know you set me right. I know that you see me and you have declared me righteous in your eyes. Confess your sins to Him. But also the other side, confess your sins to others. Have some accountability in your life. Enjoy fellowship with others. One of the most liberating things that you can do is to confess your sin to another believer who knows sin just as good as you do. And they can pronounce, hey, you've been forgiven. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You have peace with God. You're right in his eyes. And other than that, I, I would say during your weeks, this, if this really is good news, think, think about maybe some of your coworkers or classmates or, or some of your neighbors. Who are the people that, that you can think of that might be prone to anxiety with God? 
that they have angst. They just feel like God is upset with them. And they need to hear the good news that Jesus has been faithful to deal with their sin issue and so they can have peace with God. They can be declared right in God's eyes. So I want to take a moment uh, to pray for our faith, to thank God for all that He's done, and to uh, prepare us for the week ahead. Would you pray with me? Righteous God, it is good to call You righteous. Calling you righteous is, is not calling you something that is so distant and remote, something that we can't even fathom or, or understand, but it's actually something that you have brought near by the very fact that you became man. You were faithful in your life. You were faithful unto death. You were faithful to deal with our unrighteousness, to deal with our sin issue. humbling to know that we are the people who deserve condemnation. We are people who admittedly are in the wrong and yet you have opened a door where there wasn't before. You have brought a verdict over our lives that we are in the right. We're justified. And even more than that, you said we're at peace. I delight in you. There is no discord between you and I. I am for you. I love you. God, I pray that uh, for those who need to lay before you their sin and not fix themselves prior, but just to lay it before you and say, here's Here's where I'm at. Here's where my burdens are. Lay them down. God, show them that they can be forgiven and they put their trust in Jesus. God, we put our trust in Him because He is the only way. We thank You that You have dealt with sin, that You have set the world right through Him, and You are setting us right We pray that you would embolden us to come before you without fear, to lay our sins before you, to lay our sins before fellow believers, and to trust that you are a good God who has already bought our forgiveness. And we pray also uh, that you would embolden us to go out to a broken and hurting world that avoids you at all costs. That whether they are truly fearful of you and fear that you are angry with them and that uh, they are on a sinking ship and they have no options available to them, or if they're just ignorant of that and they are just suppressing that truth. We pray that you would embolden us to be people that can go out and proclaim the good news to a world that is just so convinced of the bad news. God, as we continue in worship,
May, may you be magnified and glorified because you are the righteous God. We pray this all in Jesus' name.